Business Class is brought to you by the Tourism Academy, harnessing the power of science, business psychology, and adult education to advance the tourism industry and build sustainable economies. Learn how to engage your community, win over stakeholders, and get more visitors at tourismacademy.org. All right. Welcome to Business Class. My guest today is Chris Thompson. Chris Good from morning. Brand USA. Welcome yeah. to Business Class. Hi. My pleasure. Glad to be here. So explain to those who might not know, what does Brand USA do? So Brand USA is our nation's uh, Convention of Visitors Bureau, uh, destination marketing organization. We were created by an act of Congress in 2010 uh, by the Tribal Promotion Act. Uh, we are in partnership with our federal government to grow international travel as an export. Uh, a lot of people don't realize that international travel is a service export, meaning that the product is the experience and memories people have uh, and take home with them. And then the export is the money to leave behind. Um, so 2019 was a record year. We had 80 million visitors that spent uh, about two, about $235 billion. Um, 9% of everything the largest economy in the world exports, whether it's a product or a service, is what we do for a living, what we're in partnership with the federal government to not only maintain, but to grow. And um, so we've been in existence for 12 years, and I've had the privilege, I guess, November 1st of this year will be my 10-year uh, anniversary with the organization. That's also my birthday, in case you want to send me. Oh, you know, I'll, I'll remember that now that you said that. All right. Um <laughs> So what do you think are some of the biggest opportunities facing uh, facing international travel or from international markets for the U.S.? So uh, going into COVID, uh, I like to say we were the most aspirational destination in the world. If not the, we were pretty much right up there near the top. Uh, we had had record visitation. Um, the pandemic, as did with every other sector, shut us down. Uh, first domestically and then internationally. Um, we're coming out of that. And I'd like to think that we're already in an endemic stage. I guess we just need to get everybody, all the politicians in particular, to acknowledge that at every level across the world. But I think we're in an endemic stage, which means it's not going anywhere. And so we're going to have to learn to live with it. Um, but particularly as it relates to international travel, last November, our borders are opened. Um, uh, just here in the spring, the uh, uh, pre-departure tests for for people coming for to visit or us coming back uh, was relaxed we're starting to get some connectivity back um, but there's really some lingering uh, issues related to recovery from the pandemic that are still in still here and are probably going to be with us long term and I guess as they take shape we're going to see how they affect the entire the industry and our sector um, moving forward and that's certainly the employment side of things uh, you know, it's one thing for all of us to promote the experiences that are, uh, we, we talk about travel being the diversity of geography and experiences and people that uh, you can have across 50 states, five territories in the District of Columbia, but we really need to be able to get back to delivering those experiences the way they were pre-pandemic and the way people either experienced them for the first time uh, sometime prior and maybe for the first time now. And so that's that, that's the biggest challenge we have. You know, one of the things I've been saying actually throughout the pandemic and even particularly as we're coming out of it, you know, hospitality industry is really referred broadly as all these sectors that uh, 
our, our community holds up high to attract visitors to their particular piece of the travel experience that's part of the U.S. the overall USA experience. But in reality, those are the same things that are the fabric of our hometowns, our home cities, our states. It's the reason why you move there. It's the reason why you stay there. Um, so it's not just broadly described as the hospitality community. It's those things that actually make up the fabric of every community in our country. So I think uh, in a lot of ways, if you could possibly look at silver linings coming out of the pandemic, I think we have we never had a bigger platform to talk about uh, hospitality industry, how important it is to to local economies as an as an additive to what drives an economy every every day. But it's really also the thing that makes the economy run. Uh, it's a big part. You know, it's probably the majority of the jobs in any given city, town, state across the country. So uh, we got lots of issues coming out, uh, and that's just all here locally. You know, when you look at internationally. Probably the biggest issue we have is uh, visa processing. So 60% of the people that come to the U.S. don't need visas, whether it's visa waiver or people coming in from Canada. Uh, the rest do. And in some of our major markets right now, do again the pandemic because it was a worldwide pandemic. It's affected our the ability for our consular offices and our embassies to process visas. So in order for us to get back to some semblance of what we looked like before, uh, we're really going to have to get on top of that. I know that's the biggest priority for all the advocacy army in Washington is to try to figure out how do we resolve that situation. That's a big long-winded answer to your first question, but it's a good one. Uh, and yeah. you know, when when talking about advocacy and talking about you mentioned, you know, politicians and getting them on board, um what could individuals who are working in the industry at all different levels, whether it's a frontline worker at a hotel or it's a destination marketer, what can they do to engage or, or help influence legislators regarding the value and impact of tourism? So there's a saying that says all politics is local. Of course, local politics is local, but then even at the state level, it's local. And at the national level, it's local because all, all decisions are driven by individual voters, people that uh, register and otherwise exercise their right to vote, which is a critical part of what makes the U.S. the U.S. So you know, I run an organization in, in Washington that has a presence in our nation's capital, has a has enjoyed an, a tremendous bipartisan support from our inception through two reauthorizations. And then here recently, when our business model was compromised, we had an extraordinary request out of our fund for an extraordinary appro appropriation and Congress granted that to us. So those things don't happen because they like me or uh, you know, they, I'm a good salesman. I'm a, I can talk, I'm a good, uh, whatever at what I do, uh, in the end, they're going to find, they're going to respond to how do their constituents feel about what's happening at the local level, state level, and national level. So we're going to do our part. And I think that we've had a good track record for the 10 years I can account for of, uh, rising up to really figuring out what is the value proposition in for our nation's DMO layered in on top of our states and our, and our cities, um, but in the end, it really gets down to what a constituent say. And every member of the hospitality industry, and it's broad, 10 million of you out there, uh, are, are, can become evangelists for all things that, uh, that are travel policy, whether it's local, state, or national. And uh, you can be a, a vocal participant in the process, and you can also be a very important participant in the process as you support people that support the travel and tourism industry. So lots of ways for us as individual citizens to be active in the advocacy space. 
And I think that that's a big change that we've seen with a lot of DMOs through the pandemic is that their responsiveness to their stakeholder groups. You know, there was a huge recognition that your community is a stakeholder. And I think it was Adam Burke who said at DI, um, what's good for your resident is good for the visitor and the reverse is not always true. Um, yeah, that's true. Yeah, I can see and, that. And how, have you seen that change from a national level too? You know, I don't know. Um, I think I could just see it in the conversation. Um, if you look at all the 24, uh, seven, uh, 365 day newscasts that were um, talking about the pandemic and all the effects on every part of the country, every, every, every part of our lives, professionally and personally. The one thing that rose out of that conversation as it related to um, consequences and mostly economic and jobs and everything else was how disproportionately affected the hospitality, hospitality industry was. I don't think I've ever heard that level of conversation and that frequency of conversation tied to the, the business that we all are in all the time. And so I'd like to think that that there's a, a, a new awareness uh, among uh, elected officials at all levels about the importance of it, as I said earlier, that it's not just the hospitality industry. It's not just your CVB, the president of your CVB or your state tourism director or me at the national level, maybe uh, being viewed as selfishly advocating for my our sector. Our sector is the fabric of communities. And so I think that that I'm hoping that's a legacy change coming out of this. And I think keen awareness at the local levels, at the state levels, and certainly at my level, that this is an opportunity for us to be part of a conversation in a more compelling way than we've ever had. Well, I think we've, and I wouldn't even say everybody had a seat at the table. I'd say more and more people are getting a seat at the table, but I think you not only have a seat, but you have a voice to be uh, part of uh, what shapes communities, brands that are established in communities, brands that can be established in communities uh, that not only are the unique selling proposition they have for their destination for travel and tourism and meetings and conventions. But look at Pure Michigan. That's a great example of a, a brand that just rose above being a tourism brand to totally defining and changing the perception of a, of a whole state. And I think that's the platform we have. And it'll be interesting to see whether that's a legacy, legacy silver lining coming out of this and we take advantage of it or, or where it goes from here. So, I'm curious to know how you ended up being in charge of, you know, one of the largest destination marketing organizations <laughs> in the world. Now, how did you start I, your career? What, what did you think you were going to be when you grew up? I wake up, by the way, every day thinking that, how, look at me, man, I'm running Brand USA. Um, so I was, uh, I was a business major coming out of college, uh, really in real estate is where I ended up, where my interest is still my, still is my interest personally, um, and probably professionally when I quit doing what I'm doing. Um, but, uh, we moved to Tallahassee, Florida, uh, as a result of an opportunity my wife had, um, I was uh, working for a company downtown Atlanta, a real estate appraiser and consultant. She was an attorney moved to Atlanta when we got married, but then the firm, she left in Tallahassee, uh, offered her a chance to come back and be a partner. So I said, all right, that's, you know, we were young, unmarried, uh, I mean, married, but no children couple. And that changed the, the calculus for us moving forward and where we thought we had the best chance of uh, being successful. When I went to the real estate industry in Tallahassee, it was nothing compared to what I was looking at in Atlanta. People wanted me to pay me by the hour. 
I said, all right, time for me to start over. I said, we're well, okay. Here we are in our uh, state of Florida, capital city. I'm going to go be an economic developer. So I went to the, the Florida Department of Commerce, had a division of economic development and was looking for a job. And they said, well, there's no jobs over here, but we have this other division, which is the division of tourism. And we got some jobs over there. And I said to myself, I said, what the hell help does Mickey Mouse really need? I didn't even know there were jobs that, you know, you could do that. So that's how I got started in tourism back in 1983. So come this spring, I'll have been in this space 40 years. Um, and I will just have to say it's, uh, you, I think you'll hear this from anybody, uh, particularly seasoned people like me that have been around for a while. Once it gets in your blood, uh, it's just, uh, it just stays, sticks with you. And I will have to say, I've been extraordinarily fortunate to be in the right place at the right time and mentors that saw something in me and gave me chances, allowed me to fail and otherwise, uh, uh, uh progress and, the sum total of, I would say, five or four or five, six moves uh, had me end up being the president CEO of Brand USA. Um, and just the details surrounding that path would probably take longer than we'll have on the podcast today. But, that, <laughs> but that's the, that's kind of how I got there. And and I kind of I say I, I wasn't looking for it. It found me. I stumbled into it and managed to make a forty year career out of it. So, who do you look up to as one of your biggest influences? Or, well, I'd have to say, um, and it was funny because then uh, I don't think you ever realized it. Uh, I have the privilege of having an 11 member board and uh, uh, all 11 seats are tied to tourism sectors. Uh, and one of those sectors is lodging. And one of the, uh, the person that was the second person in that seat was Arnie Sorensen. When I came on as a new CEO, Arnie was the... Uh, uh, new board member in that lodging seat. And when I got to Brand USA, I realized there was a little more, more dysfunction, both at the staff level, board level than I had realized. And so it was a little tougher, little, a little heavier lift than I originally thought. And so Arnie helped me in, in ways that he didn't even realize till when he left the board at the reception, I called the whole staff together, uh, at our headquarters. And, uh, brought him in there and, and told the story about how, how, how important he was. And I would just have to say at a, at a time when, you know, you need, of course, that was 10 years ago. Um, and I'd already been in the business 30 years, but I always tell people when I got here, uh, I don't think there's a lot different than I'm doing here than I've done anywhere else. It's just a bigger stage, brighter lights and, uh, you know, and, and doing business in DC is, like nothing I could put words to. You can only re only realize it by doing it. And Arnie, in in a way that I, it's hard for me to describe. But uh, and that's why he was so beloved and the only person with the without the Marriott surname to run the company. Uh, I would say he's been one of the biggest influences of me lately uh, on how to navigate at this level, uh, how to uh, deal with everything you got to deal with in Washington and otherwise. Um, uh, just also mentored me uh, per professionally and personally along the way. So that's the first one that comes comes to mind. I spoke recently with a group of college students, and um, one of the questions that they asked or kept coming back to was, how do they get themselves started in the industry? How do they build their network? How do they find mentors? What advice would you have for people who are who are getting started and, and looking for that? So here's the challenge in the world that we're coming out of the pandemic and particularly in the employment world as we navigate 
you know, being full-time in the office and other wide hybrid environments to, uh, otherwise. Um, and I don't know how we're still, we're in a really hybrid environment right now. I'd say we have one of the most you know, liberal interpretations of back to work as anybody, because we can do that. Uh, but one of the things that a screen so far and EIT has never replaced is what I would call the organic interactions that happen in an office. And, you know, it's easy to talk about water cooler talk. It's easy to talk about grabbing somebody, uh, you know, to go have a, a lunch with. But what I did when I was younger is I certainly understood what my job description was. So by the black and white letter of that description, I was going to deliver on that and otherwise exceed that. Uh, people ask me for advice and I always say, uh, make yourself invaluable. And invaluable means that uh, you're going to certainly do everything they're expecting of you. But then every in every way, every small way and even larger ways, if you can find them, go beyond that and do things that they weren't ever dreaming that you would, you would be doing. And uh, it's easier said than done. And that's just a broad stroke, but, and, and the reason why I was talking about the organic work environment, what I also did after I knew what my job was, was look around the organization and, and try to look at who were successful people who had success, who had traits uh, and then who had just things that I was naturally drawn to and wanted to emulate. And uh, sorry about that phone. Um, and I globbed onto them. And so Arnie's a great example. When I was telling the story in front of the team about Arnie Sorensen and how important he was to uh, the hit through the evolution of Brand USA and how important he was to me as a person and as a and as a and, and as a boss, he had no idea. I mean, I was getting very upset and very emotional. This matter of fact, it's the first time I've talked about it in a long time where I haven't gotten emotional, but he got emotional. And I said, so. People, you never know who are going to be your mentors and your mentors never know when they're mentoring. Uh, it's just a, one of those organic things that happens in a good work culture and a good work environment where, you know, everybody clearly understands what their job is. Uh, I always talk about how, you know, we're successful when our individual contributions uh, lead up to our collective success. And the sum of that is greater than the individual contributions. And if you get everybody on board doing that, rowing in the same motion, then you're going to find lots of mentors. And there are some out there looking to be, and then there's others like Arnie that just were Arnie, and uh, he was naturally and invaluable to me. So I would just say uh, to people, you know, always uh, make yourself invaluable. That's the best way I've been able to describe it, is you're going to know what your job is, and if that's going to be the minimum expectation, but then otherwise find ways to go beyond that. And you will always be highly thought of, and you will progress through an organization if you choose to stay there quicker than you would on and uh, doing it any other way. And I like what you said about, you know, looking for people who are doing the right thing and doing the good things yep. and, and working to emulate them. Yep. Uh, I, I think that's Those are important. examples. What, I mean, that's how we think about what, how, so when you have children for the first time, who the heck ever teaches you how to be a parent? Well, what you did was you saw hopefully a great example with your own parents or other parents that you came across. So a lot in life is by being uh, alive. Uh, aware. Yeah, being alive, first of all, but being aware, being, cur <laughs> being, being curious, uh -huh. and also uh, always knowing that you there's always uh, more out there that you don't know than you do know, and there's always more resource out there than you're even aware of. And you just have to, you just have to be looking for it, go looking for it. And so I think when you're, when you do that, then, uh, you're going to see tremendous benefit that you would not even be able to anticipate. I think one of the things all travelers have in common, and I've said this a few times, is that 
they're lifelong learners. Mm-hmm. And That's we really want to learn about the new about. experience and, and yeah. new places and new things. Yep. Um, and taking the- that and applying it in the workplace is what it sounds like you're I think that's the biggest benefit to travel uh, is um, the, I think you get to get out and experience things that you learned about maybe in school uh, that you never had, had the appreciation for until you went and experienced it firsthand. Um, And then, you know, we always talk about economic contributions of travel and tourism, but there's the soft diplomacy that um, when we were talking about, when I, I early on, I said travel is really with the way we define it simply is travel is about destinations, experiences, and the people that are delivering them. And all three of those words and all three, all three of the ways those things are delivered are what make travel the, one of the most compelling things that people want to do and that people consider a birthright. And so uh, I think that's uh, can be applied also in the business world and any, pretty much any way you look at your life. So I think it's impossible to look at people through one particular lens. And I'm curious, what brings you the greatest happiness? Professionally, personally, you name it. Let's see. So I've had the privilege of of, uh, being part of startups at the local level with Tallahassee, the state level with Visit Florida when it was first brought into existence as the first one of the first state uh, public-private partnerships, and then certainly here at the national level. Um, uh, everybody wants to be the CEO. I don't think anybody can understand what it what it means to be a CEO, uh, but my greatest pleasure is, and it, it probably came for uh, from me, actually my DNA is probably closer to a COO, which is give me all the resource, show me where the end result is and get out of my way and let's channel these resources. So, um, I, I still uh, I still use that as as a CEO, and so my greatest uh, ongoing pleasures on a, a regular basis, particularly here, as we've really achieved some aspirational things and done some really creative and neat things, is to get everybody. You know, I understand I have to set a vision and then get everybody bought into that vision, but then really empowering people to understand their individual contribution to that collective success and and just uh, you know keeping them all between the guardrails and pointing them in the right direction and let them go and. Uh, so uh, I give people the benefit of the doubt till they prove me wrong. And my wife calls says, that's probably a real naive way to go through life. And I said, well, honey, you know, we're both real successful and, and your ways work for you and my ways work for me. And I said, it does, it does make me more vulnerable because I'm trusting people in, in more ways than you probably do. Uh, but that's, that's where I get my, my professional uh, happiness is when mm-hmm. uh, I can, I can do my part. And I always get way more credit than I deserve because there's so many things that have to happen. I say I'm ultimately responsible for everything that happens at our headquarters in Washington, around the country and around the world, but I have little to do with any tactical execution of what actually happens. And it's because I trust people that I report to me and they do there. And they, and if you do all that all the way down and you empower people, then you got a good organization. Personally, um, I can tell you the things giving me a joy right now is uh, um, I, my wife and I, uh, we had two boys. Uh, they're now 35 and 31. After we had our youngest son, I said, I'm ready for a third to have a little girl. And she said, well, you can do that with your second wife. And I said, well, we're going to be married. Uh, we were married 40 years in January. So I'm obviously still married. And so I said, well, we'll have to wait for grandkids. And damn, if we didn't get a little COVID baby girl, blonde hair, blue eyes, that's now 18 months old. And I can tell you that little girl's changed my life. And I think it really actually... Ma- uh, very poignantly and vividly 
makes you realize that family is the most important thing, no matter what. And um, uh, so people say, you know, I, I talk about this is going to, I'm in the twilight of my career. The, this is the last thing I plan to do where I'm working for somebody else. And they said, aren't you going to be bored? And I said, no, shoot, there's a whole life out there ahead of me that has nothing to do with work that now is really focused on this little 18 year old girl. That's totally changed my life. So uh, that's what's, that's, what's given me a lot of happiness and joy uh, here recently. What's something that your parents did that annoyed you at the time, but you've grown to appreciate. Hmm. Uh, eating vegetables. <laughs> so here's my, here's my, here's my, my dad was a Marine and uh, he came up in a military family, really strict military family. And so it didn't matter what you, whether you wanted it on your plate, but uh, if something was put on your plate, you had to eat it. And so back as a young kid, uh, my mom was a terrible cook and she didn't, I don't think she pretended to be anything else. Uh, and uh, so the only vegetables I knew growing up were frozen vegetables because I was born in Philadelphia and that's just the way you ate them up there because you, you know, there was enough time to grow them fresh up there. And then as we got otherwise vegetables, it, they, there would be sweet potatoes and uh, squash and things like that, that when you're a young kid, you can't stand. So uh, I, uh, I, they made me eat them and, uh, and now I realize uh, I, there, there isn't anything, very little things that I don't like now. Uh, so I don't know. That's the first thing that popped into my head. Describe who you are when you're at your best. Hmm. Uh, so, uh, So I'll, I'll, I'll focus back on me as a uh, CEO and let's talk about here at Brand USA. Lots of times I get to be the face of the organization. I get to get up and tell the story of this for the first time and uh, me leading it for the first time and having a great team and amazing accomplishment that we've made had over the last 10 years. Um, and I'm a, I'm an introvert uh, at my core. And, uh, and so whatever I've had to learn how to do to be the face and to be up on a stage in front of a bunch of people I've learned how to do. But um, when I can get up there on that stage, I, I and particularly, I, I, I don't like teleprompters. I don't like scripts. I just like getting up there and telling the, telling the story. So I am so totally bought into who we are, what we do, why we do what we do, what is our value proposition across all stakeholder audiences throughout the uh, supplier stakeholders here in this country and buyer media stakeholders around the world and our federal government stakeholders. When I'm up on that stage and I'm hitting my rhythm, I'm hitting my cadence and I'm hitting uh, the delivery of that story, uh, that's when I'm at my best in every way I could define being my best, which is knowing my role is to be the face to tell the story of what we're doing collectively uh, and then getting up there and giving it the best shot that I can give, uh, give telling it because that's the way for us to, I think, be seen as uh, doing what we're supposed to be doing among the uh, stakeholder audiences that I have a chance to tell that story to. For, uh, I have... personal, personally, oh, I would say uh, anytime around that little baby granddaughter <laughs> and, and also I'm very proud of my boys. So I would say, uh, being uh, personally uh, being a father and being uh, part of an amazing family. How do you think your boys would describe you? Hmm. OCD. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I, I know I am. Uh, so 
I'm here in my home. And so I'm looking at my refrigerator. If you open my refrigerator, I just loaded it and all the labels are facing forward. And uh, so little things like that, they would say. And so the problem is, is their mom is also OCD. So, and then we had two boys are only four years apart. The second one got a double dose of OCD and he got his older brother's dose who is not OCD at all. So I think the OCD one and the non-OCD one recognize that uh, yeah, I'm very OCD. <laughs> I have uh, two questions to finish up. One, is there anything I didn't ask that you wish I did? No, I don't. I didn't have an agenda. I mean, you gave me a heads up on some of the things you might ask, and there wasn't anything there that I thought that I couldn't answer. Uh, no, I, I, uh, I think you did a good job. Excellent. And then the last question to close with: What has touched your heart today? Ah, gosh. So I, I said 40 years in this space and, and I've been privileged at every level to have amazing opportunity with organizations that were in startup phase and bringing and public private partnerships and bringing the private sector to the public sector. Uh, you know, few people have a chance to um, ever do that. And I've had a chance to do it three different times at three different levels. And I'd say here at this organization, maybe done it couple three times <laughs> since it was first started so uh i think I, I would say uh what warmed my heart today was a reflection back on that as you're kind of making me be in perspective of uh you know uh, what i believe and and um and that and then of course when i was talking about my granddaughter i i say to the young people all the time uh so there's three major chapters in your life if you're fortunate uh one is to uh, have a partner, uh, and, uh, be in, be hope in, in my case, be in a marriage, uh, then you're going to have children if that's what you choose to have. And then you get to be a grandparent if that's what you choose. If, if you're part of that equation, I always say there's no words I can describe that would do any one of those chapters in your life justice. And I used to look at grandparents all the time and say, they're just a bunch of stupid people, uh, you know, ridiculous in how they act. And I'm the worst now I'm as, I'm as bad a grandparent as far as looking stupid and acting stupid as anybody I've ever seen. So, uh, but there's no words to describe what it means to have this little person come into your life that just, you know, up until 18 months ago, wasn't even here. And now she's totally changed my life and me. So uh, that warms my heart every time I think about it. And my, my son and his wife are great that we have a Google uh, picture share uh, spot that's called Thompson family. Uh -huh. And they download pictures all the time. So that every time I see one of those pictures, it makes me smile. That's fantastic. If folks want to learn more about Brand USA and the work that you do, how would they go about doing that? So our uh, consumer site is uh, visittheusa.com. It's in uh, what is it, sixteen different sites in eight languages. So, however, wherever this reaches, however you want to receive it, uh, we have the brandusa.com is our B two B site. And then, if you're looking for some compelling content, which is uh, everything that you would want to know and see to do in the U.S., uh, go go USA TV channel can be downloaded on any of your streaming channels, uh, any of the any of the platforms and any of the streaming channels, and that's a way to go uh, get a good example of content that we are creating, curating, and licensing to tell the collective story of what makes up the story of the USA. Fantastic! Thank you for being uh, with me in business class. Yes, sir. My pleasure. Thanks for including me.